Hey everybody, Joe here. Uh, what you are about to hear is our seventh Patreon hangout where we talk about feats of strength. I explained a little more about that uh, once we get into things. Uh, just a little forewarning, uh, as usual, you know, this is a Google Hangout and some people have technical issues and, and things like that. So uh, Trolls goes a little robot-y at times. Uh, we can thank his uh, awesome Danish internet for that. But uh, no worries, a super fun conversation and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. I will see you in a couple of weeks for the Defender of the Crown episode forthcoming. Uh, aside from that, have a good time and enjoy our feats of strength. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Okay, so I guess I hope we're live. This is a new uh, a new setup. But anyways, uh, hi everyone. Joe here for I guess what is episode one hundred and two, if I'm not completely wrong, of the Upper Memory Block podcast. Podcast. <laughs> and uh, I got to take these headphones off because I'm hearing myself in them because they're connected to another computer. And there we go. Much better. And we're here for our seventh hangout, in which we will be talking about what are we going to be talking about? Uh, feats of strength, which I think was Trolls' idea. Ironically, because I yes. have nothing to contribute. Uh, <laughs> really, well, I am I very strengthless. Well, anyway, so I guess we, I, I sort of defined feats of strength as uh, kind of outlandish things that you've done either in gaming or you know, in games or in technology to get games to work or in, you know, anything like that. Anything sort of that's like where you had to put some, some elbow grease, some effort, or where afterwards you were like, oh, well, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, uh, I actually got uh, one or two, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just on, on the sidelines and I'm ready to be enlightened by people who are actually good at their junk. Awesome. So uh, as soon as I... Want to run away for one more second? We'll do introductions, but so give me a moment. <laughs> so now I'm not uh, streaming just... OBS anymore. <laughs> so let's. Uh, I know we've all been here before, and uh, some some other folks might uh, might pop up as we uh, as we progress. But let's let's go down the list and introduce ourselves as as we tend to do, starting from the left of my uh, my little list here with Brian. Hey, I'm Brian. Um, same as always. I think I've been on all of these hangouts, right? I think so. Yep, yep. In the Midwest, that's about all I got. So surrounded by boxes and, and other various yep. things. Yep, all stuff for arcade games that I get to fix. So. Which is still, I say, the coolest job in the world. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Next we have, whoop, here we go. We've got another person popping in, but we will continue on with, uh, with, with Tomer. Hey, uh, I'm Tomo from Israel, as usual, and I'll be contributing the incessant cat meowing for this episode. <laughs> unless, unless my cats come and do the same thing, because they're very good at that. And what was going to be finally, but isn't finally anymore, uh, we have Trolls, who needs no introduction, but introduce yourself anyways, because you've got a lot of cool stuff that you're doing. 
Um, hi, I'm Trolls. Uh, I may or may not be wearing pants. Um, <laughs> let's hope no one has to find out during this uh, hour or so that we're I guess this. that'll depend on whether or not you have to go to the bathroom. Mm, yeah, it's already starting to be. Anyway, uh, I'm the Space Quest Historian. <laughs> I have a YouTube channel on youtube.com slash Space Quest Historian and a bunch of other crap that I won't bore you with. Yay. Hey. And very recently added to the call, we have a returning, returning contributor, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Give yourself a little intro if, if your, your voice is working. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Hi, I'm Craig. I'm an old-time gamer. That's about all I got to say. <laughs> so cool. So I guess, so yeah, we were going to talk about uh, crazy stuff we've had to do. And if we run out of crazy stuff we've had to do, I'm sure we can find more than, more than enough interesting things to discuss. So does anyone have, uh, have a story to, uh, to, to wow us I've, with? I've just learned... I've learned. I could learn so much from you about uh, concise introductions. I'm really terrible at those. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Backseat designers is like pretty, uh, pretty concise in introduction from time to time. Well, thank you. That's because it's actually scripted. Yeah. Uh, Fred actually sat down and went, "Okay, we're gonna say hi to each other and just say hi and nothing else." And he was looking straight at me when he said that. Also, I think uh, the great feat of uh, strength in this case is uh, having Gareth along for the show because he, you know, gets you back on track. Yes, that was, that was very important to have the uh, the person that sort of drags you back well, back to where you need to be. And he's British, so that's always, uh, you know, a plus. Yes. Yeah. And especially, it's important to stay on track when you interview people like freaking John Romero. <laughs> or sorry, was like Romero or Car yeah, you got Romero, not Carmack, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was Romero, and that was uh, backseatdesigners.com. Uh, if anyone's is is interested in in listening to that, uh, it it basically consists of uh, Fred trying to contain his drool as the man completely and utterly schools us on old school adventure games. Of course, absolutely. The, 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 the basically the progenitor of the first person shooter schooled you on adventure games. Yes, that is exactly what happened. Nice. All right. So so getting getting back on track. Yes. So you know, Sorry <laughs> for derailing that. No, exactly. But uh, you know, uh, so we, do, do we have some feats of strength to talk about? I can. I, I got a few. I can. Oh, go ahead. It was your idea? You you share first. Yeah. Match. All right. So it's all trolls' fault if it goes wrong. Yes, <laughs> I, I accept full responsibility. I'm, I've I've only got one really of my own that I can claim as my own. So maybe I should hang on to it until everyone's no no let's start with a bang I, you know what I, you know what's going to happen i'm sure other people will start telling stories and then and then you'll be like yeah, oh god i remember someone. this thing and yeah all right i may even have mentioned this before so it, it is really underwhelming i got flashback cd-rom to work on my old 486 which is a game that uh, required uh, something in the line of 611 kilobytes of free base ram to run and right. i got my mouse driver and my cd-rom driver in there and actually managed to get the game running. And that was a... I have no Did you put it into the, the upper memory blocks? Uh, <laughs> yes, see, I resisted running QEMM on uh, any of my old DOS machines because it would unilaterally fuck up, um, you know, if, if you played uh, One Must Fall. I can never remember the, the name or the year in, in that title. But anyway, One Must Fall. 2097. 2097. Uh, it would you know, completely break the game and sprites would uh, flicker and uh, the game would crash and such. So I never used um, QEMM. You know, I never, so got, I, had, I never got why QEMM gets such a bad rap. I've had uh, not exclusively, but predominantly really good experience with it. And like, 
It, it doesn't require any more holding, uh, hand holding than Mim Maker ever did, and it's as stable for the most part. So I don't know. It just Really I don't know. I, I got very wary about it because it would it would always mess up my shit and it would always crash games and it might have been just you know components in my computer colliding with each other or something. But um, yep, could never get it. So I got flashback working by somehow having enough kung fu to auto exec bat mm. and config says my machine into getting 611k base RAM with mouse driver and CD-ROM driver and sound card driver loaded. And actually, that CD-ROM driver was 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 bad. Yeah, that was uh, CD. Uh, MSCD MSCDX. Yes, and that was Microsoft Compact Disk ex Extensions. I think is what it meant. Ooh, nice one. So anyway, that's me. Uh, the game actually sucks. Uh, I only played <laughs> it for uh, 15 minutes and realized that one, I'm shit at uh, flashback in the first place. I can never get out of the first couple of levels. When I hit the city, it's all over for me. I can't get any anywhere in it. And two, the CD-ROM drive is awful. Uh, the CD-ROM version, I should say. The CD-ROM drive was quite awful as well, but the, the version is awful because they replaced all the fancy vector uh, animations with these terrible rendered cutscenes and awful voice. All right, because, hey, we have a CD, so let's do... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, think I wrote a, an unremittingly bad, like, negative uh, review of Flashback and Moby Games back when I was, like, 16 or something. Right, right. And... Um, I actually got what is uh, for the relatively nice and pleasant internet of the late 90s, what is tantamount to an email death threat about <laughs> someone basically. Really? Yeah, he was, he was, you know, he was really, really appalled uh, at everything I had to say on the game um, and basically called me an idiot for thinking that and that I should retry the game. And uh, I haven't, so... <laughs> I have no so idea. So there. <laughs> yeah. I got the same. I got the same shit at me for uh, reviewing negatively uh, Phantasmagoria, the first game. Uh, but that game sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. But and and even on an IMDb page on Phantasmagoria's IMDb page, I wrote a very negative review of Phantasmagoria, and the dude who has the uh, largest Phantasmagoria fan site. Uh, actually got in touch with me to tell me what a fucking idiot I was, although in a, in a pleasant tone, but in a really, ah, uh, I really don't agree. Well, of course you don't. You have the biggest fucking fan site devoted to this game ever. Um, so I think the title of it was Click Here to be Spooked. No swear uh, today, trolls. <laughs> We're all adults, right? I mean, I, I mean, think about it, trolls. If it was like back in the day and, you know, it was like the height of... of spacequest.net and, and, and all that stuff and, and some guys showed up and said spacequest sucks and blah, blah, blah. I mean you probably get a little bit defensive well we we got those guys all the time spacequest had the biggest online community of the 90s I, I true <laughs> we, we were pretty I mean I, I was in it so yeah. so uh, so we we got we got haters all the time hey why do you waste your time on this stupid adventure game and we was like there's more of us than there is of you so so whatever <laughs> exactly <laughs> And, you know, getting back to the, 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 the memory yeah, that, stuff. Yeah, that wasn't really on topic. No, whatever. Like, we don't need to be... These things are never on topic. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think we've all had some, some kind of stories like that. And, uh, you know, for me, I think I've told this story a lot of times. For me, it was always uh, Aces of the Pacific. That one needed... I can't remember. It was, it was either like 590-something or it was a hair over 600K. Anything yeah. where you had to get like over 600K of base memory available... 
conventional memory. That was that was a challenge. Yeah. Now, luckily, that was a. I don't think that ever came out on CD, or if it did, it was in like a collection or something. But you know, so you you had the big the big savings of not needing to load up that CD driver. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I actually. Oh, go ahead. I was just thinking, now that I think about it, Flashback doesn't use a mouse driver. Why would I load the mouse driver in? Maybe I saved a couple of K just by not loading the mouse driver. That might have been what pushed me over the uh, 600. But Flashback CD was awful. It needed like 611. And you've got 640 at, you know, total. So 611 yeah. is a lot. Yeah, and I think like the, the, that, that mouse driver was like 18K or 20K or something. It was this massive chunk of memory that needed to be used yeah. up, right? So, so I might have misspoke. I might have not actually loaded the mouse driver because I'm not that much of an idiot. But I remember finding, because I guess there, there was, there wasn't, it's not like it is today, right? But now you just plug in, plug in a mouse and it works. And there, there obviously is a mouse driver is somewhere in Windows, like mouse.sys or some crap. But, <laughs> but, uh, but before... There were there were a, there wasn't just one mouse driver. There there was a variety of mouse drivers you could you could have, right? And so we we found I think like a one K mouse driver, nice. and we started just sending it around saying, okay guys, use this damn mouse driver because you don't need like a twenty K mouse driver. <laughs> so we had we had like a one or two K mouse driver that we jam into you know jam into high memory if we had to and. And that really helped because I think like for games like Ace of the Pacific and whatever, like we had joysticks. So you didn't need to, you didn't need a mouse, but it was, it was convenient for the, for the UI. Cause you could go through with, you know, your keyboard and, and all that, but you know, it was, it was better to have a mouse than to not have one. So it was nice. And, and did anyone ever get into sort of, uh, you know, like obviously we all made boot discs and, and things like that, but you know, getting into like those menu options on, on boot, the auto exec options. That's a, uh, Perfect setup for my the, the one out of the two stories that I actually have. Okay. Um, so the, those menus that you're talking about is basically a feature uh, they added back in MS DOS 6.0. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's relatively new in MS DOS terms. Uh, must have been 93 or I don't know when. Uh, oh, wasn't it 5.0? No, no, I actually checked because uh, I'm like that. Anyway. Um, so yeah, around, around the same time, uh, DOS six came out, I was, uh, getting really frustrated with having to constantly kind of adjust my auto exec and, and can fix this because you can get to a pretty stable configuration that works for the vast majority of things, but not for everything. There's always that one game or one demo or one older game, especially that you want to run that will clash with whatever, EMM, QEMM, or that requires HIMEM, but not like a, a memory manager, or... An XMS, but not EMS, yeah, or whatever. requires those extra few Ks that you have to shave off with, by like omitting the, the mouse driver, that sort of thing. So I was getting really frustrated with that, and uh, I was really heavily into programming way back when. So uh, at that point, I... Uh, I don't even even remember how I discovered the software interrupt uh, 19 hex that you can call, and it warm boots the PC. So it's basically a software command that restarts your PC, but it doesn't go through all the kind of diagnostic process, like counting memory and all that stuff. Uh, so it was pretty quick. And uh, I cobbled together this really strange menu system that allows you to boot up like different auto exec and config sys files. 
but because I didn't have the know-how, it was sort of a weird hack that used a flop, like a single floppy disk, and then would modify the files on the hard drive and boot to that. It was a pretty, pretty weird uh, kind of setup, but functionally, and even in terms of how it looked, it actually was very, very similar to what Microsoft ended up putting in in, in DOS 6, uh, and which actually came out like a, a few very short months later. And I had this image in my running around my head since I was about 11 of like Bill Gates breaking out of my house in the middle of the night with like a small <laughs> black sack or a flock. I've got the code. I've got the code. Like cackling madly as he's running down the streets. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. So yeah, I, I, that's weird. A lot. No, a lot of people now aren't going to understand even what we're talking about because. You know, drivers take up such a little amount of our current computer's resources that the that this concept of of which driver uses the least amount of memory, um, you know, that's just completely gone. You know, now DOS gaming is over. You know, I had uh, you know config.sys and autoexec.bat and my C drive for you know just standard stuff, the best performance just to boot and all that. But then you had to have the special tweaks. I remember um, Seventh Guest. You know, that was, mm-hmm. that was the first one was really hard because you needed the CD-ROM driver, the mouse driver, the sound driver, you know, high mem and all, all that other stuff. You, get, you had to completely maximize all of your memory usage, um, no matter how much memory you had, because you still had to maximize that, that base. Like you talked about, we had sometimes out of your 640K of your base RAM, you know, the, the game wanted 600 of that. So you had to have only 40K in your base memory. So you had to get all of the high mem and UMB stuff running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I always had, yeah, I always had that with, um, you know, not, not just like the, the base memory stuff, but like, I, I remember running wing commander one of my, my friend, you know, he was the one that had the game originally. And the first place I saw it was on his computer at his house. And he had this super fancy new, uh, multimedia 386, which had, I've talked about it before. It had that that CD-ROM with the the cartridge that you put the CD in the car, in the cartridge, and then you loaded the cartridge into the CD-ROM drive. And you know, he his machine had a you know a, however much RAM. Maybe it was like I don't know four megs of RAM or two megs of RAM or, or something like that. But he had enough RAM so he could have you know EMS and XMS memory. So it must have been like four megs of RAM. And uh, you know, so when we played Wing Commander at his house, you know, the guy you saw the little the little stick guy hand move and, and, and the, uh, the cockpit would take damage and stuff like that. But on my 286, I didn't, I either didn't have the, the, you know, enough juice for it or, or I just didn't have it set up so I could use the MS and XMS. So for me, wing commander was very boring. I mean, I loved it, but it was boring in that, you know, I just saw the guy's legs, no hand. And in a way the game was easier because if you took damage without EMS or I think it was EMS specifically without EMS, your cockpit wouldn't take internal damage. So if you took enough damage, like your radar screen would crack and your, you know, things would break. So the game would actually become harder, but without that extra memory, <laughs> you didn't get those features. So the game was easier. I remember games uh, used to, uh, they would look for uh, how much uh, memory you had, how much, uh, you know, high memory you had. And it would go like taking advantage of external memory. And you get, yes. you get like additional features. And I remember it, it wasn't the way commander. I think I, um, oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, am I sounding robotic? Yeah, you're robot a little. Every, every now and then yeah. you robot a bit. 
Ah, damn it! I even pulled out the uh, the cable, so it's actually I'm 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 a wired person right now. Maybe that's uh, very much right now. In fact, I'll just shut up. <laughs> I'll hand over the rights to someone else. Danish internet is always a. Uh... That that's kind of the always the problem with the BS designers podcast as well, and it's always you. You always break down. I've moved recently, and I really don't know why I am so plagued with this. Because internet in Denmark is not supposed to be this shitty. I don't know what it is. Ironically, it's kind of on topic. Is you know all the work you had to do back then to get computers working and all that. You still, it's a feat of strength for trolls to. <laughs> To be on the show, maybe just unplug your. Or are you using like the onboard mic on the on the laptop or? Oh no, 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 no. I am. Uh, I had a lot of problems even getting the, into the Hangouts. I spent 15 minutes trying to convince Hangouts that I actually did have a webcam, and it would it would make me very happy if it would use it, please. Um, <laughs> see, and this is my you know, gaming rig setup. So I've got a I got an external uh, mic and an external sound card and uh, everything, and um, <laughs> it's supposed to look smashing. It really is not, apparently. You look beautiful. Yes. You just sound good. like a robot. <laughs> you see every blemish in my ungodly face. <laughs> Anyways, we'll, we'll roll with it, and then and we'll see. Or, or maybe try dropping and, and logging back in. Maybe that'll help. Or actually talk now that you yeah. uh, turned off your video. Maybe it's a bandwidth issue. I, I am bandwidth issue. Please. Nope, still, still, still crusty. No, it does sound like a bandwidth. Like you know, for me, it'd be when all the kids are trying to uh, stream Netflix or something while I'm trying to broadcast. That was before I got Google Fiber, though. So, right. <laughs> it's funny. It actually leads me into a story. Not so much a feat of strength, but for some reason, a lot of my stories revolve around, around Wing Commander games. Maybe because, you know, they were sort of pushing the envelope a little bit. But uh, Wing Commander Three, uh, I believe that that I was playing on my 486 DX266 or whatever, which was probably a little bit. Uh, a little crappy. Sounds a little bit weak for that. Like it's a modern game by those standards. It's like yeah, exactly. So, so the so the thing would be, I could play the games. I remember you could switch it between VGA and SVGA. And uh, the the problem being, I really wanted to play the game in SVGA because you know why wouldn't you? And <laughs> and uh, so I I had I had two options. I could either play the game in VGA and and actually be able to play the game. And but have it look fuzzy and, and crappy, at least in my opinion. And but the other option potentially was uh, to switch into SVGA, and it was jerkier, but it looked really nice. But my my sound card, actually, no, you know what? It was a Pentium 200 I was playing it on, and for some reason, and so it should have ran fine. But for some reason, when I switched it to SVGA, my sound card would start freaking out. Like it wouldn't, it would work, but it would basically do what what trolls sounds like. It would be like. Argh! Like it would get all robot-y. Yeah, it would start to stutter, and I'm like, it must have been because again, a Pentium 200 for Wing Commander 3 Pro was probably okay, but there must have been like an interrupt problem, and like it was this weird like uh, this this neck Pentium 200 that had this onboard kind of pseudo onboard sound, and it had like a, a cool like integrated front panel where you could adjust the volume, and there was an amp in it, so you could just plug unpowered speakers into it, and and all this stuff. But for some reason, again, maybe because it was this weird setup, that whenever I'd switch to SVGA, everything would just go robot-y. So I could play a pretty game that was really jerky and had crunchy sound, or I could play a game in VGA that actually was playable. <laughs> that actually leads to a question I wanted to ask you all. Um, because yeah. I, was, I always fell on the side of that you know, in my younger days where I wanted the crispest visuals possible. So 
I, for example, ran GeoQuake on an S3 Verge, which was a, I don't really think it was a 3D graphics card, but. Um, no, you know. it was considered a 3D decelerator, not accelerator. <laughs> okay, so you know what I'm talking about. So I, I would sometimes get as low as three frames per second on, you know, GL Quake, but man, it looked gorgeous. Now, I normally didn't play with that low, but I would play FPSs with as low as 15 frames per second and not really worry about it so that I had a super crisp, just the absolute best, you know, visuals that, that are possible. But then. You know, my buddy was the opposite. He would run, um, you know, the you know the best frame rate he possibly could, and that's what he would go for. So, you know, he'd play even in later games without textures to have a better frame rate. It just looked awful, but it was smooth. But it ran like a yeah, it ran like butter. Which side did you guys all fall on on that? Go for FPS. Some games, including shooters, uh, you can you can sort of get by with a lower frame rate. Uh, so Unreal Tournament, for instance, really breaks. Uh, well, at least 2000, uh, 2003 version did. Um, below like 20 frames per second, it's just unplayable. Um, then you had System Shock, for instance, the original one, uh, which was a lot kind of more slow-paced. So it- yeah, it wasn't really a Twitch sort of game. It was an FPS, but not really. Yeah. And you could play better on that game if you had better visuals, so you could actually see everything. You know, you know yeah. what you're looking at. Yes, I'd agree. Um, it just didn't need the frame rate as such. Like, it always helps. It always improves the experience, but it's not mandatory. Also, uh, following up on The Verge, uh, The Verge and also ATI Rage 2 and a couple other cards, um, I-, I benchmarked a bunch of these back in the early Direct3D games, and uh, it was hysterical because with, uh, like, Direct3D software emulation, I would get two frames per second on, uh, like, Final Reality or something. But with ATI Rage 2, I would get two seconds per frame. So wow. A3 accelerator, it was a piece of crap. And the S3 Verge, um, if I remember correctly, had really good 2D performance, though. Oh, yeah. Great for 2D. And non-accelerated 3D games. I mean, um, what was it? A Duke Nukem 3D. You know, that card was smoking on that. At least. Yeah, that same machine... Yeah, on that same machine where I was playing uh, Wing Commander 3, and Tomer, you went away for a sec. It was actually a Pentium 200. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah, I was listening. I just had to sort something. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, that one came with a well, yeah with an ATI 3D Rage Pro or something like that. And yeah, that was... I don't know why they put the word 3D in there because it didn't really do a lot. <laughs> I when, I used to, when I used to go to LANs and uh, we would play uh, Quake 2 mostly because that had just come out and that was the thing. I had just gotten my first uh, Pentium, I think it was, and it had this weird, because uh, this was back in the, in the days when 3D effects and uh, uh, all of these other companies were kind of competing over the 3D accelerator market and I had fallen on the non-voodoo side. Not by right. choice, but, but by ignorance. So I, I got this uh, Direct3D card, uh, and it would 3D accelerate, but it would also crash at random intervals, just absolutely crash, which is awful when you're playing a, a, a deathmatch. So uh, I would usually run in software mode, also because I could crank it down to 320 by 200, and, uh, and uh, you know, the 3D acceleration had to run in 640 by 480 at least, and it wasn't quite... <laughs> My pension wasn't quite fast enough to run Quake 2, at least not in a competitive sense. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in, in SVGA. So I would, I would crank it down to, uh, you know, 320 by 200 VGA software mode and just plow away. That is uh, awesome. Also, there is apparently a bandwidth adjustment slider in Hangouts that I just found oh. uh, 
couple of minutes ago. So that that probably is why my voice sounds better. Although, of course, the the awful blemishes in my face you'll have to imagine now because I think video quality just dropped a bit. No, they're still there. No, you look fine. Yeah. Your blemishes look look as blemishy as ever. Oh God, man, I am. I am tempted to make some Michael Jackson jokes here, but that would be very inappropriate. <laughs> um, it's actually just, you know, I, I have I have a cream I'm supposed to, but I hate putting cream on my face because I always get Mr. Mackey from South Park going topical <laughs> cream. And I just go, ugh. So, and now we don't want more naturals than we needed to. Yes. Got me thinking of texture filters that could smooth that out. Yeah, you know? there you go. <laughs> And that's another thing that people, you know, when in that, that first popped up was the idea of texture filters where instead of having, you know, giant uh, pixels when you walk up to a textured wall, you could filter that out and your, you know, frame rate would drop. And I preferred it um, filtered, but it was kind of fuzzy. But other people were like, no, nah, that's fuzzy. And that just looks like somebody put Vaseline over your screen. I mean, the... I like the way Serious Sam did it. Like when you went straight up to a wall, uh, it would actually have like a second texture it would put over oh, it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it so it didn't look like uh, like blown up and pixely and all gradient and shit. It, they just had you know. Serious Sam was actually uh, really really good with level of detail management. So they managed these crazy outdoor scenes, but you could walk up to anything, and the level of detail algorithms they used just fantastic. Also, I think uh, I think it might have been the first game to support. And uh, I'm. I'm I have no idea how you're actually supposed to pronounce this word. This word, anisotropic filtering. I think that's about right. Or antisotropic, anisotropic. Yeah, we uh, we know what words you're saying. Well, it's it's for non-isotropic. So anisotropic. I, I don't know. I'm not a native speaker. I don't care. Um, so hashtag second language. It was really, really, really uh, impressive for the time. If you could, uh, you know, if you had a a, a powerful enough video card. The textures were crazy detailed on that game. Hmm. And there's, there's some interesting stories. I think actually we should give a um, like an honorary uh, feats of strength mention to the Crow Team guys who uh, put out Serious Sam the demo so that they could uh, scrounge up enough interest to go buy computers to actually test the full game on because apparently they'd all been like sharing one or two really crappy computers. They didn't have money to buy actual computers to work on the game with. So, uh, so uh, th that's a feat of strength. It was like the, uh, the original Kickstarter. Yeah. It was very early in, uh, in Croatian independence, and like the, the whole region there was not doing well in the 90s. So that is actually yeah. really, really impressive. Yeah, so uh, honorary mention to uh, Crow Team, who actually put together a game without having machines to run it on. That is fantastic. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is very impressive. How about you, Craig? You haven't talked all that much yet. Uh, any? Uh, I'm sure you've got some some interesting stories. Not really. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> we're so glad you joined us. I, you know, I, I suffered through the same stuff that you guys were talking about earlier with you know, high memsys and, and you know using EMM386 or QEMM and and all that stuff. Um, I think you know my biggest feat of strength was probably getting 610 you know K free to to run. <laughs> It's probably Ultima Eight, right? Um, not Seven, Eight. The the uh, our, uh, the Super Mario Ultima Brothers. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That's that's probably it for me. Right? And it's funny because like I, I had a feeling that we'd mostly be talking about uh, you know trying to get memory 
working because that was sort of like always unless a game would just full out crash when you when you installed it usually the reason it wouldn't work had to do with 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 memory like not having enough not having enough conventional memory or not having enough you know ems or xms no i mean sometimes it would be other things but i i find some i found sometimes with other issues it would be because or like an aspect of the game wouldn't work like the sound wouldn't work or the video would look funny or whatever but if a game wouldn't just just wouldn't start it was generally um there's two kind of very common other reasons one which can do much about which is bad ram and that manifests in uh, any number of ways, but most commonly like EMM 386 or Q- QEMM crashes. And there is just not much to have it tested and replace the bad mm-hmm. RAM. Uh, another kind of weird thing that can happen if you don't really know what the hell you're doing is uh, IR- IRQ conflicts. Yes. So, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I'm surprised Craig didn't mention that because I'd have thought that would be right up your alley. Uh, mean, oh, because the sound cards all wanted to be IRQ7, which is your printer port? <laughs> yes. Right. So, so eventually. Why? Well, yeah, I don't know. But eventually, <laughs> Creative at that time figured it out and started making everything default IRQ5 after. after and, at yeah. point, and at that point, it didn't matter because uh, plug and play was already kind of a thing with the <laughs> A32 and, and not. And even the 16, I think, had a PNP version. Uh, yeah, but it was poorly implemented. Well, my theory as to why they used IRQ7 is because nobody at Creative Labs had a printer port. That's the only reason. I think the typical thing back then was all sound card companies figured you weren't doing anything printing slash, you know, uh, digital audio simultaneously. And that's, right. And that's just insane because uh, the printer port is used for so many different things. So you might have everything from Covox to a printer to, you know, a zip drive or something that you might actually be connecting or backing stuff up to or loading a game off of. And right. Anything that had a parallel port on it. You know, <laughs> you want to talk about feats. Um, you're talking about printer ports. I have some games, arcade games, on the route that still make money that have their I.O. boards connected through the parallel port. So when the motherboard wow. dies, I have to find a motherboard that has a printer port. <laughs> and how, how hard is that today? <laughs> Thank goodness for eBay. I was going to say, like, you, you can't go to, like, you know, no. a, a modern store. Like, no. You can't order one off of Newegg or something. Right? And, and that old stuff, old processors, old motherboards, people know that there's a reason why I'm looking for it, so they know they can charge me an arm and a leg for it. Right. Can't you use, uh, like, one of them uh, USB printer port adapters? Or, or, like, there's a whole bunch of these. You can get these on eBay, on AliExpress, that sort of thing. It doesn't work for me because of the fact that a lot of these games have proprietary software. They don't, you know, run on DOS or Windows. Some of them run on Linux, but it's um, one of them. I did try to get into Linux and make that work, but they they kind of close off their software. They don't want techs screwing with it because they're they're afraid of piracy mainly, and they feel mm-hmm. if they lock you down to hardware, that makes it that much harder to to pirate it. So sometimes. Um, Sometimes I have to even get the the exact right uh, motherboards um, on some older wow. games, but yeah, adding a USB to parallel just never works. Um, even on my few of my games that do run on Windows, they they have Windows embedded and it's all locked down where I can't even go oh, and, awesome. and yeah, do yeah. the drivers or anything. So it sucks, man. Yeah, parallel ports. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, but yeah, and and so you know, kind of further along that line. 
one of mine. It's not so much a feat of strength as, as more like I learned because I found, you know, back, like today, if you're having a problem, like say whatever, even if it's not a game, like say, I don't know, your, your printer doesn't work or you're having some like weird, like a blue screen or, or something like that. You go on to Google, you type in the error message and you know, 99.9999999999% of the time, a thousand other people have had the same problem as you. You find the solution, you implement it. Maybe the first solution doesn't work, but the second or third one does. Like you can, there's ways to find yeah. things out. And back in yeah, the day, like, there wasn't, you didn't know how, how a lot of this stuff worked unless, you know, you had a friend who maybe had another friend who learned it from his uncle who, you know, whatever. And I think this might have actually been my feat of strength because okay, I had no it. idea what an IRQ was, <laughs> no idea what HIMEM actually was or how it worked. I just knew that if I did such and such, because I'd seen other people do it, then that would free up so-and-so memory or that would make so-and-so run. Uh, that would make the audio work in this game even though it didn't work in, in this game and such. I had no idea what it actually did technically. And I really still don't. It wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that I watched a YouTube video on what DOS4GW actually does. I, don't, I didn't know that. I just knew that if, if DOS4GW showed up, that meant the game was using high memory for something. Right. So it was able to get, jump into protected mode. So it could... It, protected it, mode. Yeah, it could access beyond the 640K of, uh, of base memory, which would be considered real mode. Well, and I was always several years behind in the hardware generation because, you know, my you know, family was middle class, but, you know, still we, we didn't get hardware as new. So I remember games not running with that. Which, um, which CPU generation allowed protected mode? I, I'm pretty sure, was it 286? Well, do, do you want the, the short answer or the long answer? How about the medium-sized answer? <laughs> the medium-sized answer is uh, protected mode, as you refer to it, is the 386. But 386, okay. And a protected mode was introduced with the 286. Right, yes, I remember that. can't help but inundate you with technical details. What <laughs> we're actually talking about with DOS4GW, DOS4GW is uh, uh, putting the system back from what is called virtual uh, 86 mode, which is an offshoot of protected mode, back into protected mode. It's a bit fiddly, technically. This is where yeah, I kind of watched the YouTube right. video okay. and then went, I still don't really know what this means. I mean, I understood it in the moment that the YouTube dude explained it to me. And then it was like 45 minutes later, I was watching Star Trek going, yeah, that, 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 didn't, make, that didn't make any sense to me at all. Not enough techno babble. So Not I had enough techno babble. No, I don't think the power came with the dilithium thingamajiggy. <laughs> my, my roots are in the demo scene, so those sort of things were bread and butter back in the... Mm -hmm early 90s, mid-90s-ish, until Windows basically took over and none of that was relevant anymore. Well, I mean, Charles, you sort of, I ran into the problem and you sort of recently ran into the problem with, uh, with the final Unity, right? With the, uh, the Sound Blaster 16 driver implementation on that specific game was sort of janky and it looked like, yeah, for you it worked initially and then it, it stopped working and for me it never worked so we had to go back to the use the, the original, you know, the, the, the SB 8-bit driver mm -hmm. yes. to make it work. And, I, and it's, it's weird because that game uh, conflicts somehow with your, um, with your sound card, but it also conflicts somehow with memory use. I remember the game ran fine with uh, Sound Blaster 16 uh, unless, you, unless I got into space combat. And then for some reason, once it starts using the floating point processor, things just went 
absolutely apeshit. Oh, so now you're talking about floating print processors. That was my next, you know, hardware developed so fast that, you know, it felt like just a year or two after I finally got something to do the, uh, you know, the protector mode, stuff like that. Uh, then, then I was getting games that were complaining that I didn't have a floating point processor. I'm like, well, what the crap is that now? Now what do I need? Turns out I needed a Pentium, right? I mean, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, Pentium was the first processor that did floating point. Right? Uh, well, so it's floating, I guess not necessarily because isn't floating point just uh, the math coprocessor? Yeah, that's what I was told. And Star Trek The Final Unity uses the math coprocessing for one thing, and it's the worst part of the game. It's the space combat thing. Now, there were some games that I think, I can't remember. There were some games I had that said that, I, you know, this game requires a floating point processor and I had a 486. And once I got to a Pentium, I was finally able to run it. So maybe that's the well, point. I guess once you, in yeah. the processor itself, not as a coprocessor. Oh, that's certainly know. possible too. But it might also have been, because once you got to a Pentium, there was no such thing as like, you know, a Pentium DX2 or whatever. It was just a Pentium had a floating point. You know, yeah. it had, it, there, there was nothing limiting it from doing faster floating point. It's not that... The other processors couldn't do floating point. It was just it, they were a lot slower to do it. If I'm not wrong, no, 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 they couldn't. Oh, they actually uh, just literally couldn't. Yeah, up until the forty four eighty six DX, yeah, um, that was like the first chip that actually had an onboard floating point unit. So what you had before, like before that, or if you didn't have uh, a, a math coprocessor, what you had use you would use emulation libraries that would basically okay. do the same okay. thing with software, and it was way slower. But the CPU Okay, okay. so that, that's what I mean, because obviously I, I, I felt like the computer had to be able to do floating point math, yeah. but it just wasn't the processor doing the math. Now, a, a computer can do anything fundamentally. Tell it to do. Question. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's, it's a case of technology that you know, I know what it does in the end, but I don't know how it works. And to me, the name floating point processor just brings to mind this uh, image of a circuit board in a in like a life raft floating around <laughs> inside the cabinet. And I'm like, oh, why would you need to do that? Oh, it's a math coprocessor. Oh, so it's bad at math. Oh. <laughs> oh, you Luddite, you. <clears throat> yes, oh, okay. exactly. Hi, I'm a historian. <laughs> so those conversations made me think of a hardware feat I had to kind of go through that. Good, those are the funnest ones. So, so when I first upgraded to 486, um, I intentionally bought a motherboard. I wanted to, you know, work with my current hardware. I, I really never just bought a whole new computer. I've always, even my current computer is still technically an upgrade of my original 8086, where I just kept upgrading parts and parts. And that's all. That's, that's <laughs> just this perpetual, this perpetual upgrade process. Correct. So, so when I got the um, money to get a 46 motherboard there were a few maybe there's only one i found one motherboard that had the at power connector and the atx power connector because around yeah. that same time everything was switching to atx and i didn't have the money to Actually, buy a power supply and case and this motherboard and the ram and the cpu because you had to get new ram too so it was i got the three the ram the cpu motherboard go to install it and yeah my at power supply works but my case. My case is still AT, and it didn't have pop-out panels back then. And this new motherboard had the ATX. And I didn't know what to do, and it was kind of in the evening. It was too late, you know, to even go out and get another case, even if I had the money. And I wanted a game, you know? You, you, you buy this new hardware. you got to use it right you then and there. Right so that's when I first did what I've done many times since then, is set it up on the box that the, CP, or that the motherboard came in. 
So I, just, <laughs> I, just, I didn't even take the power supply out of my case. I just, you know, put it right next to it. Had the wires coming out of the case onto the motherboard, and then the motherboard just Frankenstein with all these wires back to the case where the CD-ROM was. Um, you know, I had I mean, a cardboard box is an insulator, right? Yeah, <laughs> it worked. It, the thing booted up. It worked. I was playing games. Uh, so. My dad did the same thing. Uh, he had, you know, he has this little office. He's an electrical engineer, so I think I've said that before. But, uh, he had this little office, and one day when I was living at home, I went in, and he had this big plank of wood sitting on his desk with all these components strewn around, like connected uh, to and fro. And uh, some of them looked like computer parts. Some of them looked like things had just fallen off the shelf and just rearranged randomly. And in the middle of all of this uh, mess was a giant fuck-off red switch. <laughs> And he, he said, and he just sort of came in and went, oh, hey, watch this. And he, he pulled the giant fuck-off red switch and this tiny little uh, computer monitor over on the side that I hadn't even noticed turned on and Windows started booting. I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is your new server, son. Actually, the things we had to go through. Like, I couldn't play 7th Guest until I had my 46. You know, I got, right. a, got the CD-ROM and, and played Miss, but then... You know, you're so happy to have your new CD ROM and you pop in seventh guest and it freaking says you need a 46. It's like more freaking money. And I, yeah. I worked at McDonald's as a kid, you know, I couldn't afford to go out and buy a new motherboard CPU as soon as I got my, like, I think it was like $300, my Sound Blaster and CD ROM or something. And, you know, it took a couple yeah. paychecks to be able to afford that. And now the freaking game that comes with it says I need to buy a new motherboard CPU. Yeah. The seventh guest. <laughs> Didn't need a 486. Like, I ran it on a 386 back in the day. So that's I, weird. I could have swore I got a message that straight up said that I need a 46 or better. I, I, maybe I'm maybe remembering wrong, but I thought that was 7th guess because I remember coming with my CD ROM. Say what? It probably needed a 486 in, in SVGA. Oh, okay. Uh, that, that took some Actually, here's a question. This is not technically a feat of strength, this is pr- pretty much the opposite. When you guys, uh, you know, got games, back in the day, I used to love you know, tinkering with the settings and such, and even though I could run, like, the 7th guest in SVGA, I would try and run it in, you know, VGA, 200, just to see what would happen, and, for instance, if you tried running Space Quest Five in, uh, oh, Jesus, I, I can, I'm, I'm not making any sense, am I? Yeah, we're no, not going to hear you, it's, it's hard. Quest Five didn't have SVGA, so no, you're not making any sense. Like for me, it was more a question of later on with 3D stuff when you could, uh, when you could choose your screen resolution and, and all of that. Like that's when I would really start messing around to really try and find that balance, you know, between like we were talking about before, between frames and and you know how how good things look. And you know, it was always like, well, how? Because now it's even a little bit different because you can still technically do that, but you know, given that we have these LCD screens that had you know running, if you don't choose like the right you know, if you don't choose native resolution of the screen, then it, it doesn't look right. It's fuzzy yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Whereas on the CRTs, you could basically do whatever you wanted. Like they could display like a million different, you know, different modes. Did, did anybody play uh, MDK? Yes. Yeah. That's the only game that I can think of that relates to what you're saying, Trolls, to me is where I went back to software rendering because that game was written for its software render and the software render was so good. It was amazing. That later- it was beyond good. It was... Yeah. Like years ahead of everything else. So, of course, I always just screw software render. I went straight to the hardware. I was, I was a huge believer in hardware rendering, you know, and, and you know, I got, like, the first Voodoo as soon as I could. And, and, and it just, because, again, I love that visual fidelity. But, yeah, MDK, like, somebody, 
you know, kept bugging, buddy kept bugging me like, dude, you got to go back to software. Trust me. It looks way better. And I didn't believe him like, fine, you know what? Let's do it. So we switched to the software render and holy crap, he was right. Uh, that's, that was an amazing software render. I used to play uh, Carmageddon in software because I didn't have a three-year fetch card and that game would only run in, in uh, you know, three, uh, in accelerated mode with a 3D effects card and I had my direct 3D card, so I couldn't. Um, and then one time I went to a LAN and I saw someone play Carmageddon in, uh, in 3D accelerated mode and I just, I just thought to myself, this looks awful. It looks too sort of shiny and it's not gritty enough. It's not, because that game is, you know, above all else, gritty as hell. And uh, it just it just looked too shiny and clean cut, and uh, and I just I just didn't like it. So to this day, if I play Plastic Carmageddon, like the version off Steam, I will turn off uh, hardware acceleration. I want the grainy old 320 by 200, and uh, you know just turn the sound up really loud so I can hear all the blood and guts splashing across the windshield. It's that just feels right to me. Mm-hmm. You know, some some newer game where some newer versions of older games like Doom, for example. Um, I played on the Xbox 360, and they didn't actually use any um, new uh, hardware tricks on that uh, port. They, the only difference is they allowed higher resolutions. So the, the original software engine runs on the 360 at up to 1080p. And wow, that is gorgeous, having the software rendering at 1080p. And before I had it on that, I would play it on PC with, um, um, how, what did you call it? Not rappers, but you know... The programs that you'd run to run a game in GL, old games. Um, yeah, I mean, they were effectively rappers, weren't they? I can't remember. There's a term for them. We actually discussed it in a previous... Uh, yeah. But I loved it. Once I found those programs, uh, you know, I'd run all my favorite old 3D games in that mode. But you're definitely right, Trolls, that they didn't have quite the same feel when they were running 3D rendered. But again, you know, at the time, I was just so stuck on, on everything looking as beautiful as possible. But really, it wasn't until the, that 360 port of Doom that I started really, you know, respecting higher res versus actual 3D rendering. Because hmm. these days, you know, there's so much detail in, like, a 3D game world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine anyone trying to play, like, modern Doom in 320 by 200. You couldn't tell what the fuck was going on on screen. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah but how did we ever know what was going on on the screen? I mean, <laughs> I played that game all the way through in DOS, and then I play again now, and you're like, oh. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, I, there's, there's two pixels moving. How, how do I know what's going Well, back then, you didn't have to know what it was. You just shot at it, you know? If, right, exactly. Really and, you know, like a lot of older, like I just, the last episode was on, uh, you know, what's it called? Uh, F-19 Stealth Fighter. And like a lot of flights, like I was talking about Ace of the Pacific before, like you'd see an enemy plane. And if that enemy plane wasn't like within, you know, like in super close, like in dogfighting range, you were basically chasing a pixel, then you were chasing two pixels, then maybe you were chasing four pixels, and then eventually it would sort of, it would turn into a little cross. And then as you got closer, <laughs> yeah, it would develop into like a thing that looked like a plane. But originally, yeah, you're, it's like, well, there's a dot, I better fly toward it. You know? <laughs> so in these modern games, we have to tell what, you know, you have to look at it before you shoot at it, you know. Um, but we couldn't do those back in 320 by 200. No, I mean, everything had to be pretty, uh, actually, it was interesting. I was listening to the latest, uh, the latest Blue Cup Tools podcast that just came out this morning. And, and Ben, I mean, Ben Chandler, lately, all the stuff he's been putting out, like all his, his writing and his articles and his analysis. Yeah, they're amazing. They're so amazing. And he was talking about, you know, and a lot of the work that, that they do for, for Wadjadai is, you know, low 320 by 200 or 640 by 480. And, you know, he was sort of taught, they're talking about highlighting things in adventure games, like, you know, using highlighting and, and you know, 
directing people toward you know important things in a scene without you know putting big flashing arrows at it saying this is what you need to click on and you know he was talking a lot about you know scenes where you know if he knew if he knows ahead of time that it's a scene where you're going to be spending or a room or whatever that you're going to be spending a lot of time in. So you get stuck in that room and you know, there's a puzzle to get out and it's going to take some time in a room like that. He'll put in a lot more detail because you're going to be there for a long time. And there's more things to click on. Whereas if it's just kind of a passing through one thing to do sort of room, he'll put in a lot less detail, but you really had to in that sort of lower res environment, you had to really focus on, you know, how much detail you're putting in a thing. And if you put in too much, you're going to get lost. And if you put in not enough, then it's too easy and boring. And so it's just, it was always, I found this very interesting balancing act about. I actually don't know if it's subconscious, but when I would play older games, I would recognize that. And I would know, I loved exploring every nook and cranny of the game that, you know, had an ability to explore. Um, I, I never liked what I called this, the corridors. You're just walking straight. You know, those games were boring, mm-hmm. but games where you could explore in any way, shape or form. But if there was like just a bland area, I knew, well, this is just a place for me to run through. And that's really screwing with me right now. The current game I'm playing is the Zelda Breath of the Wild. And those developers made every single inch of that game super detailed where I I keep seeing this really detailed like outgrove or something. I'm like, oh, there's got to be something here. And I spent half an hour and there's, no, there's nothing. It's just beautiful. So yeah, right. that because that, to us like a brick oh there's a brick that's a slightly different color that's got to be something we got to go check that exactly. out right? you know, <laughs> whereas in this game every brick is a different color like <laughs> and my kids don't understand I was trying to explain exactly what you're saying is back in the day if, if a developer took the time to make this detailed there was something there for you and you just had to look around for it I I don't know if yeah. this is entirely on topic but I just got done playing Full Throttle Remastered mm. and. And and it you know it, it upscales the old uh, 320 by 200 graphics to uh, you know whatever full screen widescreen resolution you've got, and I think there is a game that does not benefit from a high res version at all. That you can clearly tell, even though they've tried polishing up the graphics and such. This was these are graphics that were made for the 320 by 200 resolution because. In their very first VGA game, Monkey Island 2, they put in way too much detail, so everything was, I mean, it was a detailed uh, game for sure, but there was so much grain because when they scanned in the backgrounds, they were, you know, there there was too much going on. Um, Simon the Sorcerer 2 has the same problem where everything just looks ultra blurry and grainy and and weird and such. So they learned, they gradually stopped uh, putting in so much detail. You've got Day of the Tentacle, which is in this cartoony flat style, and then you've got Mm. Full Throttle, hashtag second language, which is just all about shadow and, uh, you know, again, very flat colors and, uh, and all this stuff. And when you, when you see that on an HD monitor in, in like a 1080p resolution, it just, it, it just looks unfinished somehow. Right. So, uh, so that's a game I would dearly recommend you run in original graphics mode, but with the, the sound, obviously, they, they, got, they made the sound a lot better, but the graphics, eh, not a fan. I keep having thoughts back to our um, remakes and remasters and stuff. And that's why a lot of those games today getting remasters, they got kind of a remake. Um, I'm thinking of, um, you know, Monkey Island, for example. And we, you know, recently had the Grim Fandango and, um, you know, a lot of those adventure games are getting where it's not the original art. They, they've redone the art because the original art doesn't HD scale very well or, or takes away from it. I shouldn't say it doesn't HD scale well, just, doesn't do the original art justice. And a lot of those games, though, they do let you switch back and forth between original art and um, classic art. So that, that's awesome. 
yeah, and you get the uh, uh, then you have to live with the four three aspect ratio, of course. But um, right. but that's hey, that's a that's a small price to pay. Uh, on the subject, I, I know this is derailing completely, but has anyone seen <laughs> that's the? That's what we do. Yeah, has anyone seen the Poison Pawn, the Tex Murphy uh, fan game that's turning into a real episode of the game? I just started out about it a couple weeks ago. So it, is. it started out as a, as a retelling of Tex Murphy Overseer, the least regarded in the series for some reason, even though it has some of the strongest acting in any FMV game. Which is a retelling of like Mean Streets or something. A retelling of Mean Streets. <laughs> uh, and, it, and, and they're using uh, the latest Unity engine, and it just looks so gorgeous. I'm so glad I got a computer that can finally run it because, damn. Yeah. So. That's okay. If you're going to upscale or rescale anything uh, from the olden days, um, you might want to actually look into redrawing the graphics because uh, some games were made with that resolution in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wish Martin was here because there's a uh, there's a console game that one that defies that. It um, Wind Waker, Zelda Wind Waker on GameCube. It used uh, mm -hmm. uh, cell cell shading art and that game was one of the, the big pushes for emulation of GameCube games because the emulation could help do everything into full HD and stuff. And, and that was the one just poster child of how good upscaling some games could look. Right, and I guess it really does have a lot to do with the art style, right? Exactly. So something that's cel-shaded is, is a prime candidate to be, to be upscaled like that because, and that's why I'd say like, you know, it, it's surprising that you say that, you know, full throttle doesn't look as good as it could you know upscale because it to me it's sort of like it and day of the tentacle like day of the tentacle remastered i thought look, looked incredible looked fantastic yeah. because they didn't need to do anything to it it's right. supposed to look cartoony right and, and i kind of like to me like i haven't played full throttle remastered yet though i think i have a key for it i just haven't gotten around to it and to me like full throttle is also somewhat cartoony though i guess there's a lot of more a lot more 3d rendered kind of aspects to it yeah there's that, but the art style uh, clearly is made with, like, if um, I'm trying to put this in art terms, even though I'm not an artist, I'm not Francisco Gonzalez, but, <laughs> you know, uh, like very broad strokes, not very detailed, like, like just very, it's all about the, you know, the shadow and the big splotches of color and such. And, and when you downscale those to 320 by 200, they look amazing. But when you upscale them, it kind of looks like an unfinished painting, at least. Okay. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, okay, so anyone? yeah, no, getting back. So I had one that, that I would, that, you know, getting back to, to hardware and IRQs. So I started talking about this and then we, we got off on the side of, you know, how you didn't really, weren't able to really easily learn things unless you knew a guy who knew a guy or, hmm. or whatever. So I didn't know. So I, I had a lot of trouble on one of my machines and it was probably my 386 because this had to do with a modem. Uh, I had a 2400 baud modem you know, that we would use to jump on, on BBSs and, and play Solar Realms and Baron Realms and Legend of the Red Dragon and all those awesome door games and, you know, download message packets from FidoNet and all this stuff. And um, I was, there was some, I don't know how or why, but it was like this, I had this weird unresolvable IRQ issue with this modem. And the only way to get it working was to boot the machine and hit Shift F1, which I believe would just bypass everything. Like it just wouldn't load anything. Mm -hmm. And and like DOS safe mode. Effectively, like I don't know, Tom or Craig, am I right about that? 
I, I remember Shift F1. I just don't remember if, if it just loaded nothing. I honestly am not sure. Right. So anyways, I had to hit Shift F1 and whatever Shift F1 did, it made the, it made the modem work, but it also meant that nothing else on the machine, like none of the other peripherals were, were active. And um, to do this, you know, like even, even today, if you're, if you're booting a machine into Windows or whatever and you want to get to the boot menu, you, know, you don't know quite when to hit F8 or F4 or delete no. or whatever, or Shift F1. Yeah. So They hide that fucking line behind this terrible graphic. Right. And yeah, if you want to get into the, the BIOS or, or whatever. So this thing, so we would hit, we would, we would, so, so the, the problem with this was that because we couldn't get the modem working and we were playing, we were actually playing, a, it was a, a sort of a mod for Baron Realms Elite called Solar Trek Realms. So it was basically Baron Realms, but in the Star Trek universe. So, you know, you had, instead of like space stations and whatever, you had like Klingons and Terrans and starships and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, would pl- I was playing it because these are like, turn-based bbs door games so you each had your empire and you had defended and attacked and made money and blah 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 and the bbs only had one line so what would happen is i was playing with my friends from from early high school so we would all race home after school and whoever got home first would be the first person who would be able to log in that day and do all their stuff and you know if they wanted to attack us they'd be able to attack us first before we attacked them and and so there was this big race to get home and the problem was the, the, the computer was either off because people turned their computers off and on. Back in the day, trolls, I believe you still do that. Yes, I do. <laughs> Mine's are, mine are just on 24-7 now, but, but uh, you know, you'd have to boot the computer and then you'd have to hit shift F1 and if you missed, you have to go, you have to turn it off and, and try again. So we would sit there and just spam shift F1 until the, until the computer started beeping at us. We didn't care because if you missed it, you, you probably wouldn't be able to get the other guy that got home and he would get on first and then he'd do all this stuff. So that was sort of like, so for me, it was more a question of, I can't remember how we learned that shift F1 would, would do this. You know how I think you learned? How's that? <laughs> probably the same way I learned how to do all of this stuff with MS config and, uh, um, Auto executive bat and stuff like that. Uh, PC magazine. Any chance you read that? It's certainly possible. It was either that or uh, I was a big computer gaming world guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I used PC. PC magazine was available in uh, the school library for some reason. They had. Oh, you know, cool. Which you know, in the late '80s, early '90s, was really weird, but they had it, and it had all sorts of good tips. Um, but, you know, it had articles about new hardware that could never afford and stuff. But in the back, it had uh, always had some sort of DOS tips and stuff. And while you're talking, I looked it up, and there's different like things like F8 would allow it to only do um, HiMem, HiMem.sys. It would oh, skip everything wow. in your config.sys and autoexec.bat, but HiMem. So it would be one to use for games that did need the HiMem loaded, but nothing else. Right. And it was like F8, F5, F1. There's a whole bunch of apparently different boot options you had. And they started that in apparently MS-DOS 6.0, according to this article I just looked up. Okay, well, that would, that would make sense. Yes, DOS 6 was sort of like, like I remember there being a big deal about DOS 5 yep. and then a bigger deal about DOS 6. <laughs> well, I remember DOS I 5, that's when games started requiring, you know, before that, it just, you know, MS-DOS. Yeah, seemed, and there was, you know, MS-DOS 2.2 or something, you know, and everybody had three or something better, four or something. But yeah, oh. once five came out, a lot of games required DOS 5.0. Yeah, but you're talking like late 80s, early 90s. You got to remember yeah. PCs have been around for about 10 years at that point. So anything that wanted to run off a hard drive would typically 
required three, us three zero or later. Three point three, I think, was kind of the three uh, three was kind of the canonical version for for a couple of years, but uh, the requirement I think was basically around the some support from DOS for hard drives. I'm not even sure of the details at this point. I think I think something just clicked with me. The reason why I don't understand what things do, I just did them and learned them almost like machine memory, uh, is because uh, we didn't have computer-dedicated magazines in Denmark, at least not any that I was reading or could understand. I was born in 1980, and we got our first IBM PC when I was a child, and um, everything I learned how to do, either my dad or my friends taught me, and they didn't bother explaining why it worked the way it did. They just like if you do this, it does this, and why doesn't matter. <laughs> you just type this in, and and after a while, you just start, you know, um, muscle memory. You go, okay, if I load in Hyman says first, then that means that that takes up more memory than if I load this driver in first, or some for some reason it works. Don't ask me why. Magic, probably wizards. I don't know. It just works that way. You know, even even the order of drivers you loaded in was yep. affects how much memory the next driver would take up. And it made no goddamn sense. Like, that's the way it is. I'm convinced. Like I always saw that. Oh, go ahead, Brian. As I say, I'm convinced some drivers took up more memory if more memory is available. That's why you had to load those last. Right, and, and to me, like I always saw that as sort of like, uh, like they have puzzles like this, right? Like you have this, you have all these things that are this that are certain sizes, and you have this set of buckets that you have to put them in. Find the way you can fit the most things into these yeah. two buckets that you could. We all play the best puzzle game yeah. called DOS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> best puzzle game. I used to make up stories like the drivers were uh, mad at each other and they sort of got they got weird because if I loaded this driver in first and then the next driver would get insulted and just go, Well, I'm just gonna take up more RAM, fucker. <laughs> so I've got a feat that this kind of reminded me of that I was saving kind of for last because this is pure hardware craziness and it's maybe the craziest story you guys have so I had a computer where uh, I got mad at it for whatever reason, did bad in the game, kicked it, the hard drive crashed. Um, <laughs> and I think this was Pentium time, and this was, um, you know, I definitely had CD-ROM and all that. I couldn't afford a hard drive at all, um, and I wanted to play games. And I knew somebody whose dad was like the first person we knew in, in all of Kansas City that, that had a CD burner. And oh. um, in hindsight, realizing how much blank this cost back then is this guy doing this favor for me is actually like probably pissed his dad off, but he would burn just basically the directory of a game that he had installed on his hard drive onto a CD and do that, you know, several games, however many games he could fit onto a CD. And I actually remember having a CD with like, felt like a ton of games because he actually back then <laughs> CDs had more space than hard drives. So he right. yeah, install like, was the it game. 600 yeah. megs or something or 700 megs. So he'd install a game on his computer and then burn it to a CD ROM. And then I would boot off floppy with all the drivers that I, I needed <laughs> and then navigate to the CD-ROM drive and run the games. Um, some games absolutely would not run if they couldn't modify some of their files while they were playing. Right, but yeah. other games would let me play fine. I just couldn't save and I couldn't edit. Uh, there's, you know, some of them had actual startup files and I couldn't. Right, so whatever, like, whatever they, he had put into his installer, yeah. like I have a Sound Blaster 16 and exactly. I have you know, VGA and... So some of them, sound, yeah. my sound didn't work right because I had a slightly different sound card or something like that. But yeah, that's, that's the biggest feat I ever knew of anyone doing to be able to play games was having <laughs> somebody burn them onto a CD-ROM to run the actual installation off of a CD-ROM. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and 
you know what? I, I played. I couldn't save the games, couldn't hear half of them, but I was at least able to play games until I could get a hard drive again. Oh, that's, 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 that's great. <laughs> that's pretty cute. And that, that, that was a co-op feat of strength as well. Yeah, yeah. I had a, had a buddy who helped me out. He felt bad for me. I couldn't game. So, I have a feat of strength story that also revolves uh, around co-op. Uh, in particular, a winner and a loser. Uh, I was not involved in this, so it's not technically my feat of strength. I may even have uh, told the story before, but I will gladly tell it again. Um, back in the day, we used to play, uh, you know, a friend of mine would come over, we were, we were still kids, and Doom had come out, and we had a serial cable, so we plugged that in to um, one, one of the computers was a 486, the other was a 386. And whoever lost got to play on the 386. And I sat there, mouth agape, watching my younger brother play on the good machine, on the 486. And it was Doom 2, it was uh, Map 50, you know, the big, uh, you know, the big hall with the cyber demon in it. Um, and he, he lost 50 to minus 2. And the last shot is, is really the feat of strength here. Not only was he absolutely terrible, but the last shot was fired from, like, uh, you know the room with the, uh, the Fort Commander Keynes in it? Yeah. Right. He was in that room. He was in that room, and his opponent was way over on the other side of the map, like straight when you come out of the, the, uh, of the teleporter from the first room. He was way over on the other side, and he just fired off a rocket just down the hall and just you know started running towards him because he just wanted to call him out of the room. And the only thing he heard, he couldn't even see him. He just heard that. <laughs> and the counter went down. I was like, wow. Or they kind of went up, sorry. And I was like, wow, that was a one in a million shot. <laughs> and, and again, 320 by 200, where, you know, that room was a pixel, one pixel from that distance. <laughs> and, and the 386, and, and this, this is the more impressive, the 386 was so underpowered to run Doom 2 that it had to run the game in low rest. Remember, you could turn on the low rest mode. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would, you know, lengthen the pixels, kind of make it 160 by 200. And it just well, didn't it actually... Sh- put borders around it like it shrunk your whole viewing area am i correct on that no i just it just it just along it, it just made the whole thing look like an agi game oh okay right and i think you did have that option at least in doom one you had that option of shrinking your your viewport down so it was like a, you know, first well, time i played it i had to shrink it down doom 2 as well same principle applies yeah but that was that was a feat of strength and at that point my my, my younger brother just you know threw up the headset and just stormed off and just like fuck this noise so I've got a, I'm not going to, my wife would definitely be mad if I call it the feat of strength, but uh, when she calls it as the extremes her husband would go to for his computers is, um, this is 2000 this took place. We're barely in the pre-XP era, but, you know, by a year it was still pre-XP. But um, we were going to, uh, cable modems had just become available, and it was like, as soon as it was available, I signed up for it, and we were on a list. And they're like, well, we'll call you once the you know, cable guy can come out. So, um, you know. Weeks later, we're actually at uh, an urgent care room where my wife was, uh, I think she had an ingrown toenail that got kicked or something and cut, and, you know, so it was really bad. We had to go in, and she's, we're in the waiting room to, for the doctor to, to see her and fix it, and I get a call, and uh, it's on my, you know, brick of a cell phone, and I get a call <laughs> saying that, hey, you know, the cable guy could be at your house in 15 minutes. Would that work for you? And I'm like, well, not really. When can they come out next? Uh, next month. And I'm like, all right, I'll be there in 15 minutes. So <laughs> I left my wife 
with her surgery, <laughs> you know, minor surgery, but left her, went home, uh, and it took a couple hours at least. And um, by the time I got back to her, she was actually sitting on the curb because the office had closed. It was wasn't actually emergency room. It was urgent care. They had closed. Right, right. So they shut down. Yeah. And it turns out she had a horrible time. They they were cauterizing it after removing the toenail and they accidentally burned the wrong toe. Ow. And so that was her biggest pain is a, a not numb toe had gotten burned. Um, so she was in a really bad mood because of that. And I pull up and I'm all giddy happy and like, it's so awesome. <laughs> and you can't believe so I think the feat of strength in, in this situation is that you're still married. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that, that would, you know, strength on the part of your wife in this case. <laughs> exactly. Oh, she was, she was pissed for a while about that. I and mean, I think when the story still comes up, she's still pissed at me. I'm like, but she did end up loving the cable modem too. So <laughs> right. now it's up for the world to know. <laughs> sure. Do you remember uh, the, the original AMD Athlon? Crossers when they came out, I think it was uh, 2000 or 2001. I worked at um, a small computer shop when they came out. Yeah. So the original ones were uh, slot processors, but then at some point, I think might have been the Athlon XP. I can't remember which model uh, switched to a socketed model. Now the funny thing about that is you could actually unlock it for multiplier, so that so that you can overclock it. But the way you had to do that was you had these four, uh, like, contact bridges uh, on, the, on the surface of the CPU that you had to somehow connect with, like, a conductive thing or other. Now, um, it's worth noting at that point I was about probably about 17, and uh, I was working my ass off doing shit work just so I can have the money to buy a new machine. And then I figured, hell, I'm going to overclock the thing. So I did some research, and it turns out you can uh, – it's a classic. Uh, The original uh, person who discovered what the bridges are for in that they unlock the multiplier and allow you to to modify uh, the speed in the BIOS actually used this uh, very, very expensive silver-based conductive pen uh, that you can literally draw, like, circuit traces with. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then some random Russian dude just said, hey, use a pencil, and did that. <laughs> and it works because modern pencils wow. are graphite. And graphite, right. <laughs> which makes perfect sense. Uh, so I did actually did that to my brand spanking new, extremely expensive Athlon CPU. And it's like, if I fuck this up, I'm so dead because <laughs> there is no way anyone will replace it, and there is no way I can afford another one. Right. Uh, you know, working at shops, we had to look for that because people would bring back dead chips that they had yeah. overclocked and fried. And it's not like now when you overclock a uh, you know a computer and something goes wrong, the computer shuts down on you. If you overclock yeah, it's like, it, no, too hot, yeah. too weird. Sometimes <laughs> the computer would actually start making a smoking sound. It was like the early days of the ATX standard. So you basically normally didn't have a sensor like temperature probe on the CPU die. You actually, uh, if you even had one, you typically had like a, small thing connected to the motherboard and just stuck somewhere right, in the like case, case temperature or whatever yeah yeah so it was early days yet but uh right, like now my motherboard has like if i pop open the bios or whatever it has like 14 temperature sensors and like good fan control yeah. and oh, thanks yep. for I'm, I'm very happy that i don't have to make a project out of upgrading or, or even fully rebuilding my pc nowadays 
like I still have a gaming machine and I put it together on my own, but it's it's just so much easier nowadays. You don't really need- No, I mean I mean today everything pretty much goes in one slot. You can't plug something in backwards and fry it. You can't, you know. Although compatibility issues have become a lot more kind of uh common in the last I don't know, five or ten years than the the fifteen years that preceded them. Well so, yeah, I mean Craig, you could add Rams- some there was some hardware that I remember Sound Blasters just uh, because I worked at a shop, like I said, at a point, and we'd found we were, you know, custom building computers where people just order the parts and we'd put them together. Like, there was just certain different hardware that, like, uh, we had a network card that had nothing to do with IRQ conflicts or anything like that. But if we had that, net, that generic network card with a Sound Blaster uh, sound card, uh, the sound just wouldn't work. And it took us a long time to figure out what was going on and where the problem was. You know, pulling one thing at a time and seeing if it was working until we finally found it was just this crap, uh, you know, Asian import sound card. I'm sorry, network card, like no no brand name at all. We'd pull that thing out and all of a sudden the sound would work great. And, you know, that kind of crap happened a lot. And that's why, you know, somebody was talking about, you know, their Apple computer they're using right now. Is That's that's part of why Apple did so good uh, hardware-wise. They, they didn't have any of that. They had their hardware, so we didn't have to worry right, it's about a set, it. Within a very narrow range, it's a set configuration. Like, oh, maybe you'll have the better processor or the worst processor or this much RAM or, you know, a little more RAM. But aside from that, it's like, well, here, here it is. This is the machine. This, and there, yeah, and it's an OS that is absolutely tailored to this machine. And, so, you know... I think it's less about that and more about not having to actually maintain backwards compatibility with a lot of uh, hardware rates. That's the stuff too, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what that's what kills stability, basically. No, exactly. I mean, if you look at it on on PCs, like okay, fine, like in you know you can't run a you know sixteen bit app in, in Windows now, but you know you it's, it's tantamount to a miracle that Windows software generally works 10, 15, <laughs> 20 years after the fact, and I'm not actually. Like, if, if I've implied that I'm riffing on Microsoft on this, actually, it's quite the other way around. Put heroic efforts into backwards compatibility mm-hmm. that no one in the right minds ever should have to, to deal with. Well, and, you know, we're talking about things, you know, building and stuff. Like, Windows XP in 95, working at a shop, you know, when somebody ordered a computer and we had to build it, you know, the steps were you put all the hardware together, which is still, this, honestly, it's still about the same. You know, physically building it. It's, yeah, it's similar. Yeah, I mean, maybe some things are a little more idiot-proof, but yeah. at the end of the day, you're still screwing things into other things. And... Corners and cases anymore. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. everything's oh. everything's a little more rounded these days. Yeah, and I don't have to keep uh, like I I literally have to keep you know a band-aid box by my desk at all times because you're constantly yep. getting a scrape here and there. But uh, you know, so you get it all put together, and then you load your OS, but then you have to get it all working. You have to optimize it. All you have to get you know, f- get your drivers loaded. And, you know, 95, 98, we had internet, but it was early internet. So it was, you know, if you needed to update your drivers, it was still a pain in the butt to get online and find a newer driver. Yeah, to get you probably still running. had to, sometimes, some companies you probably had to hit like their FTP site or something. Like yeah, it wasn't exactly. really, it wasn't like, it wasn't plug and play like now. It's just like, oh, well here, you plug this thing in, here's the driver. If you want- Some if, companies? You had to have, they mailed yeah. you a disc. <laughs> yep. And you'd call them like, you know, they, we, we called our distributor for that network card. And they were like, oh, okay, well, we'll mail you, uh, you know, this disc, and, the, and that'll fix it. And, you know, we wait weeks to get it, and it still didn't work. Right. It's so, like, oh, kill me. It was just screwed. But now, and you know, got this person who's probably paid you, like, you know, $1,000 for a computer or whatever, and they're like, where's my computer? Why isn't it ready? Right? 
you know, my 12 year old, she wanted to, uh, you know, to get her own computer to play Minecraft and Overwatch herself. And so we built her computer, loaded windows. And I went into the drivers to see what drivers I had to load. And Windows 10 had every driver. Yeah, pretty much. Was- I mean, you know, I think the only one that sometimes you have to futz around with is, you know, if you want the best, you know, the, the most current, you know, NVIDIA driver or something, you should, you should install that separately. But other, but just basically, everything will work. Or you can have a webcam and you won't get on Google Hangouts and not sit there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good irony right there. Yeah, exactly. Even though I installed the driver, kept saying, nah, fuck off, you're not getting on Google Hangouts with this shit. And then I just, you know, it's funny. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and turn off, you know, it, 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 like, to, it, it does this red, like, angry, you know, the camera is turned off. And I just went up and hit it anyway, just thinking, fuck you, what do I want to get And the camera turned off. Like, you know, while you're telling us this story, your audio's gotten worse than it's been this whole time. I know, it's the best. Now you're like super robot <laughs> That is awesome irony right there. <laughs> which is too bad because Trolls even says, Trolls chatted that he has a, uh, a Space Quest feat, which you know pertinent to his history. So is the audio so bad that I shouldn't even bother at this point? I, I wouldn't right now unless you, you know, free up your bandwidth somehow. <laughs> Try stopping your video and talking and let's see if that helps. I know we tried that before, but I mean, we, we looked there. Okay, so now try. Or he could just save us and just okay. stop talking. <laughs> um, I was thinking that would actually be the, uh, the pertinent thing to do. It's just not... It's actually better. Actually it's way better like now. Better. Yeah, yeah. Quick, tell your story quick. <laughs> well, in, uh, in, in Space Quest 4, because I used to... It's actually perfect now, by the way. It's actually perfect. I have no... Maybe it's the wired connection. Maybe I should, maybe I should go on Wi-Fi just to see what happens. You know what? It's working right now. Yeah, there's, a, there's a very nice picture of you that we're looking at, so we can just deal with that. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just going to tell the story, and then I'll, I'll futz around with it while you guys are talking. Sure. Um, in, uh, in Space Quest 4, because I used to play a lot of Space Quest for some reason, I... For some reason, yeah. In Space Quest Four, you get to uh, you get you get in the time pod and you go uh, forward into Space Quest Ten and you land on Estros and you're supposed to get captured by the pterodactyl and then you fall into the uh, lake and then uh, you know Zandra and the latex babe show up and all of that. Um, if you take too long, uh, you know, fussing around on Estros uh, before you get captured by the pterodactyl, uh, some sequel police will show up. And uh, they're, they're really there just to sort of, uh, you know, stress you out and, uh, you know, hunt you down and say, okay, you're taking too long. Just get fucking moving or something. And uh, they, they probably didn't uh, intend for you to be able to evade them. But having played it way, way too many times, I actually managed to evade them and got up to their time pod. Uh, by you know a series of events where you have to fall off a ledge, land in the uh, uh, puddle, and then climb back up, and then evade some lasers, all the shit. Got up to their uh, time pod, only to find that um, no one had thought you'd ever get this far, so you can't actually climb in their time pod and steal it. <laughs> so, uh, so that that was my feat of strength. I evaded the sequel police that you're not supposed to evade on Estros in Space Quest Four. That was a very boring story. Now that I think about it. No, that, that's interesting. You, you basically found you found an exploit. I mean, uh, kind of. Did. There's a whole speedrun side side community of speedrunners. They they try to find exploits or can't you know sequence breaking. You do something the game doesn't want you to do, so they can get through the game faster. And that's what your story reminded me of: is sequence breaking. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm gonna do now? And I'm going to try and switch away from a wired connection and uh, try and go on uh, Wi-Fi, which sure, sounds like a terrible idea, but might do something. Maybe the cable is broken or some shit. 
Some, sometimes doing the wrong thing is the right thing. So who knows? So, well, while you play with cables, uh, this is my last story on my list I can think of. I uh, had a buddy in, uh, who we were in the same apartment complex, same floor, but opposite ends of the apartment. And uh, we wanted to, you know, we loved land gaming at the time. And we were like, man, if we could get the you know, network wire between our two apartments. This was, I think it was before <laughs> Wi-Fi. I'm sure it was before Wi-Fi. It's definitely. Um, so w- what we ended up doing is waiting till like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when nobody in the apartment complex would be awake. And we actually, in the hallways, and it wasn't just a straight hallway, but, you know, in the hallways, we were pulling up the edge of the corners of the carpet and laying down, a, you know, rolling a spool of network wire and laying <laughs> it down into the carpet. Um and I believe this was when it was coax. Oh, okay, wow. No, no, it wasn't. No, the coax was at a different place. This was uh, this was also after I got cable modems. So we we then figured out how to share my cable network connection once we got wired. But yeah, we you know we were tearing up the carpet in our apartment complex just so that we could uh, you know have a land game. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Like I, I, I my brother wanted that. My brother did do that with coax in for cable because we had. We obviously had cable coming into the house, you know, the main TV in the living room. And then I think my dad had like split it. So it went upstairs. And then, uh, you know, eventually he was able, he was able to get it into one other room. And then my brother's like, well, I have a TV in my room. He had gotten his hands on some little crappy ass TV. And so he, he got his hands on some coax and he just ran it through the hallway, you know, upstairs in our bedroom where our bedrooms were. And he ran it into his room. So he would have cable too. I actually even fished network wire through an air duct where, you know, I had the vent back on when I was all done. But, you know, there's a wire going from my computer to the air vent. And then that's going, <laughs> you know, down to the, the lower level of the house. That reminds me of a very, very strange story. Um, so not getting into the details, but back in uh, <laughs> 2006, Israel had a, a minor war with the Lebanese militia. Uh, so I was working at a software company up north back at the time, and uh, we actually had rockets being fired on us. So what we ended up doing is we moved everyone to like an underground shelter that we had just outside, but we needed internet connectivity to get anything done. So we ran a cable from like the office proper outside over like a bunch of lawns through the air vent of the indoor shelter into the shelter, like behind a bunch of really, really heavy objects in case someone does go off and just work like that. I still have pictures somewhere and I'll need to look them up. Holy crap, man. In in Kansas City, people want to go to work with a snowflake and you got people working with bombs? (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, but you know. Holy crap, man. That's, that's, that's commitment to work, I guess. <laughs> deadlines are deadlines. <laughs> deadlines are deadlines, exactly. And I, for a second there, I was thinking, nah, he just, you know, they just really wanted to finish that game of Doom that they, they, they had going. Yeah, exactly. And, and Trolls, you're good now. So Wi-Fi seems to have done it. And, and that cream's yeah. working great. You are super smooth now. Yeah. Really? Yeah, no no oh. blemishes at all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could use some anti-aliasing, but other than that, you know. Yeah. I know uh, my my texture mapping is a bit all over the place. Uh, I need. So it almost it almost looks like it didn't it didn't listen to your changing the uh, the stream quality because now your video is like it's more pixelated, but your sound is good. So let's, yeah. And oh. you, you are that art you talked about that at this low resolution your art is beautiful, but then when you go to HD, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe it helped that I had to you know refresh the Hangouts window. Maybe Hangouts was just getting sick of me or already is sick of me. No, eh. you at 240p. 
uh, is a better resolution for yeah. us. There you go. It's VHS <laughs> quality. It's VHS. VHS. Best, best kind. You look like your uh, your avatar on the the backseat designer's uh, art. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Any minute now, a uh, hand is going to come out the screen, and uh, um, uh, you know James Woods is going to press his face into me. <laughs> no one. Awesome. All right. Okay. At least one person got that one. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Tomer, you said you had one about uh, you know so to, to tease the next episode. You have a, a defender of the crown story. Yeah. Well. Um, right, so I'm not going to say much about the game because listen to the episode except for the I, fact... I just received a, a, a lengthy, lengthy voicemail from you, so... Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not the only one who leaves lengthy voicemails. <laughs> no, no, this is ridiculous. I, I need to re-record that, but I'm not promising anything because I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to cut it down for size... I'm lazy too, so I might not. <laughs> it's way... You let mine run. And I, I, I vow to never leave that long voicemails. And I'm sober now, so I think that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, I think I, I might have picked up the slack on that one. But anyway, uh, so the only two things I'm going to say about Defender of the Crown is that it's an awesome game and that it originated on the Amiga in 19, uh, 1986. So uh, I saw it for the first time, I think, on the Amiga in 1987, so I was about four. And it's actually one of my earlier, earliest coherent memories, most of which, by the way, are about either dogs or computers for some reason. Um, and I was so blown away by the game that I really, I just wanted to have it. But Israel is, is a bit weird in, in computing in that we, uh, we didn't get any of the, like we got the very early 8-bit computers and then IBM PCs and sort of nothing in between. Um, so Amigas were, extremely rare to the point where there were hardly any Amigas at all in Israel. Uh, so I could never find one, uh, but when I was, like, I started collecting computers when I was probably about 14, and when I was 16, I actually came across an Amiga 500 Plus, uh, which I subsequently bought, and, and I really, 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 really wanted to play Defender of the Crown on it. Um, and it turns out, like, I, I basically got the, the machine uh, a disk for the wrong version of the operating system, and <laughs> that's it. But the wrong version of the operating system was uh, like the original uh, Amiga OS 1.3 with Amiga Basic. So that's pretty much all I had, and of course a, a whole stack of, of floppy disks that, like from my PC, so they were completely useless in terms of software. So what ensued was a three-month experiment where I had to uh, transfer a driver for the old OS that could read DOS disks through a null modem cable connected to a uh, kind of shitty terminal program that, that I wrote in Amiga Basic, just so I can transfer the shit from the PC to the Amiga. <laughs> then I used that to bootstrap a, uh, like, just bootstrap a way to save disk images to the Amiga. So the first thing I did was I uh, burned, like, uh, burned. I copied over <laughs> for uh, the, the newer version of Amiga OS that actually supported DOS disks out of the box. And then I used that to start transferring over, like, disk, disk images that I downloaded from uh, emulation sites and stuff because it was 
basically pre world like pre internet as we know it and mm-hmm. i had no amiga stuff in israel to buy from to choose from so so was it like um, uh like um news groups and stuff or like like alt.amiga.software.bbs is very very early uh, emulation sites okay. like zofar's domain from back in oh god so 1990 mm-hmm. like or nine it was ages ago so yeah, I, I ended up uh, managing to transfer games over, and the first one I played was Defender of the Crown, of course, because I've been waiting about you know whatever twelve years to to replay that game on an actual Amiga, and uh, it ran too fast because it turns <laughs> out that it had a timing issue on the newer version of the OS. I actually had to download this uh, software. Uh, like it, it emulates the ROM and kicks it an older version, so you can actually use an older version of the ROM with the newer machine, and that allowed me to finally play the game correctly. And that whole process took like three months. It was that a is long... a feat of strength. Yes, yeah. I think so. Having the, having the patience to do that. And I don't I know. My CD ROM story was a huge feat. You got me beat, man. <laughs> I, I don't know if that is a, a feat of strength, but uh, that is a very uncharacteristic feat of determination. Yeah, exactly. And also, while you're doing it, dodging rockets left and right, just that is. <laughs> now, that, that was a few years after. <laughs> uh, in our mind, it's all together, okay? Yeah, yeah exactly. Every, everything the, uh, in the 80s all happened at once, like in the yeah. same month. Well, let me. I'm, I'm looking up the photo album, and I'm pretty sure it's here somewhere. Oh yeah, here it is. Let oh. me let me link you to this just so you can. That was a very strange time to be a software engineer in the north of Israel. I think you can uh, you can screen share. Yeah, just uh, screen share. I could hypothetically. <laughs> These guys do not. You're the only one who looks happy. Everyone else looks like they'd much rather be anywhere else. Yeah, you know, because of the bombs. Probably because of the bombs, yes. (laughs) Well, rockets, technically, but yeah. That was a very strange time to be in Israel. I have, have like, the opposite of of that story. I have a feat of failure. And I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but uh, um, as a a kid, uh, the Commodore 64 was the first real computer we got. And... I was so happy one day when I got my own Commodore 64 and didn't have to use my dad's and I didn't have to fight with my brother to, uh, you know, get on the uh, computer and such. And the first time I tried to turn this thing on, I had accidentally put the power cable into the diskette socket and vice versa, which fried the circuit board, the entire motherboard, rendering it completely and utterly irrevocably dead. And... So I had my own Commodore 64 for a total of 20 minutes. That is including the time it took to set the fucking thing up. Yeah. And boom, I killed it. mentioned the story like at a prior Hangout, because I remember yeah, it. I, I think, no, I, I think have, you mentioned it on a Square Waves episode. I may have done that as well. It, yeah. it kind of all. So here, no, I, I think was, if, if my screen sharing is working, I sh- I'm showing. I, I think I found the picture that you were talking about, Tomer, of... Uh, <laughs> People running into the uh, <laughs> error vent. Nice. Yeah, there's actually the Wikipedia. Yeah. The, the image Wikipedia shows for that particular war uh, is one in that set. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. Well, that's. Yeah, that looks great. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that was very strange. Anyway, yeah, I don't. I can, I've been, I can only imagine. I've been to land parties that looked like that. I once went to a land party in a chicken shed. Uh, <laughs> It was for a weekend, and uh, the invitation we just got was show up at this address, and it was a friend of ours, and we'd never been to his house uh, before, like really, and uh, we show up with our computers, and uh, and he goes, uh, just come over here, and he leads us away from the main house, and this is sort of like off into you know the uh, you know the where, yard or whatever, <laughs> yeah, like a um, like a forested area, kind of like a farm-ish type of. Oh, we're gonna get raped now. <laughs> And he leads us into the fucking chicken shed where he set up two garden tables inside, like like garden, like with benches and shit. Mm. Set them up inside the chicken shed and just sort of cornered off the chickens into one corner, put up some, some chicken wire so they wouldn't like walk out. But there's like chicken shit everywhere. And there's. So it's like an actual, it wasn't just like a, a chicken, like, oh, this is the chicken shed, but really we just use it for like to go out and like have picnics in or something. It's like it was an actual like active. It was. Chicken shed. It was an actual chicken shed, low ceiling, and there were flies everywhere. We spent the entire weekend. In fact, on the first evening, someone went to you know buy chips and coke and whatever, and came back with uh, I think we were eight people, maybe nine people, came back with nine fly swatters. <laughs> so we could all just sit there and whack the fly swatters when we weren't busy playing. I was like, and we're gonna play, we're gonna play Doom, but we're <laughs> but we're also going to uh, we're we're also gonna keep track of how many flies we've each swatted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And at one point, we even. We might have to cut this story for broadcast, but I woke up one morning and went over to turn on my computer, and there were two flies fucking on my monitor. <laughs> one was on top of the other, and there was definite motion going on. Oh my. And, and being the cruel 16-year-old kid I was at the time, I swatted them, killing the one on top, but not the one on the bottom. And it has to go through the rest of its life having this traumatic experience. <laughs> Rest 30 seconds, rest of its life, because we <laughs> put that out of its misery. But it was just so pathetic watching this fly crawl around with another dead fly on top of it, trying to get oh, off my. my computer monitor. It was awful. <laughs> oh, God. Denmark <laughs> well, must be a boring place. <laughs> I don't know. You were just there, you tell me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. But I mean, that flies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we had is a that, party. That is the sort of thing that, that sticks in your memory. Uh, disturbing. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Dude, I, I like how you guys top stories about you know I thought the craziest land party we had was the Chuck E. Cheese where we actually used arcade monitors uh, as our oh, nice. as our as our gaming monitors because you know that time they were starting to put VGA connectors on arcade monitors. And it turned out it was kind of uncomfortable because you either were sitting in a racing game with a keyboard and mouse on your lap or you were having to put a table in front of a fighting game, but They've got these things here now at at uh, at our at our movie theaters where they they actually hook up like they'll hook up a console to like the projector and you can play on like the uh, the movie screen which I nice. I, I've never been to but I figure that might be pretty uh, pretty fancy. At one of the theaters I go to, I won't name any names, but uh, they played uh, you know Mario Kart on the Wii you know on the projector to uh, to the big that's pretty awesome. big screen for the the movie theater after hours. <laughs> and I've, and I've uh, managed to acquire a not a movie quality projector but a projector and we you know our family plays mario kart split screen on that and now we can't play on a smaller tv because each of us has our own 60 inch screen on our, on our four-way split you know and there you go yeah it's like we're, you're you're a quarter of the wall <laughs> yeah exactly quarter of the wall is a lot of space <laughs> yeah the only way we could top that is if one of us got one of those omnimax um 
like a like a movie screens like you got in the planetarium some shit it just covers like one edge of the wall and that goes all the way around yeah it's like 180 crazy like, like dome or something yeah, yeah the original imax before imax just meant big yeah i actually awesome. went to i actually went to a concert this is this is not game related but i went to a concert at the copenhagen planetarium uh where uh you know the synth band was playing and they actually for some reason were allowed to play in, in it was like a private showcase or whatever and somehow i managed to uh, you know con my way in there and they used like the omnimax screen to like project you moving across the surface of mars while they were playing this 80s synthy rock style it was awesome um sorry that was a complete misjudgment of topic <laughs> it's hey, that was yeah those were awesome experiences yeah anyways uh tomer you said you have another thing and then we'll probably start wrapping up around then so go for it i, I don't know what exactly brought it to mind but uh, i just remembered that uh, same workplace we had a thing like that was uh, basically the first place i uh, i had a chance to try out a mechanical keyboard uh and then one of my colleagues there had a tip that a uh, it's kind of a foreclosure warehouse but not exactly so it's basically a warehouse where um government and and defense industry uh, uh, companies and bodies, basically when they need to uh, get rid of hardware, like hard drives and and, uh, old computer hardware, technical uh, uh, equipment, that sort of thing, they send it there to be scrapped. Right. Uh, And one of of those ran probably in retrospect kind of illicit side business of uh, reselling some of that stuff to anyone who knew enough to come knocking. Um, So we went there, like three or four of us, and they showed us into this humongous hangar and then uh, actually walked us outside to what was basically a junkyard. And there was a a big container, like open container, with the biggest pile of IBM Model M keyboards you have ever seen. It's been like 500 of them. So, uh, but they were, you know, obviously exposed to the elements. They've been out there for God knows how long, probably years at that point. Uh, so we picked up like 10 or, or uh, 10 or 20 uh, of the kind of best or, or best kept looking keyboards. In the, from the bottom of the pile? Uh, we, we searched through it for a good half hour just to come up with like 10 reasonable looking candidates or maybe a little bit more than that. Um, took them back. Um, cleaned the shit out of them, dried them off, uh, pulled them apart, put them together. We basically managed to scrounge up uh, three or four working keyboards and a whole bunch of like replacement caps and stuff out of that. And it cost nothing. It was like maybe 30 bucks in total, the whole thing. Uh, So we ended up with like four Model M keyboards that are actually kind of a rarity these days. And are still some of the most awesome keyboards I've ever used. Uh, by the way, if you want a mod, uh, mo- modern Model M, uh, Unicomp makes uh, keyboards called customizers that are basically modern Model M's with like USB and Windows keys. They're pretty good, although not quite as sturdy and, and hardy uh, as the real like Lexmark or IBM Model M's from the 80s. Right, you, you, you can't like beat down a home invader with them. Yeah. <laughs> My mom was running a Model M with uh, an AT to PS2 adapter and then a PS2 to USB adapter. But her yes, her newest, exactly what 
her newest computer for some reason that something in that configuration it, it reads uh, an F2 press on boot so every time your computer reboots it it goes to to BIOS on her <laughs> on our new computer so we finally had to get her a different keyboard but yeah I mean those things will run forever and ever and ever and they're amazing keyboards they really really are although yeah, I know my buddy uh, my buddy Brian the uh, the space game junkie he's got I believe he's got a Model M that uh, yeah he loves and he 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 took it all apart a couple weeks back or a month a couple months back and cleaned everything and because I guess you know you you have to maintain it <laughs> if you want to keep it yeah, you don't really have to maintain it but like if it if it starts uh, acting up on you then you basically mm-hmm. just take a flathead screwdriver take off the caps clean it up and it works again it's ridiculously reliable like yeah. think think like. 70s Volvo, Volvo or something like a car that doesn't break down no matter what, and it's the keyboard equivalent of. Right. I'm yeah. thinking like the uh, the refrigerator that Indiana Jones hid in, like <laughs> basically climb into a Model M keyboard, you could survive a nuclear blast. You I just need to like put it in front of your face, and you'll be okay. Well, no, <laughs> hold up, <laughs> hold up the keyboard in front of your face, going, "Give me all you got." You know, those keyboards weighed like six pounds because they had this thick metal plate inside them to actually keep them, like hold them sturdy in place and give you a better tactile feel. And it works. But you can also like bash someone's head in as a <laughs> and just bash someone's head in, put the keyboard on the table, keep on working, it's all good. For some like reason I imagine to... uh, a Jason Bourne scene where he does that or something. <laughs> my, my dad used to work for, for Sennheiser and he came home with uh, a set of headphones that he was really proud of and he showed me the cord in particular that he was totally proud of and he just you know looks me straight in the eye and beams like someone just told me he won the lottery and, and he goes you can strangle a man with this <laughs> I was like okay it's got tensile strength I'm good I've actually got a related story on the uh, you know finding weird shit but it, yeah. again it's the polar opposite of uh, Tomer's story um uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of us when we were teenagers got really drunk, and then you wake up in some remote house. You don't know how you got there, uh, and you go for a stroll trying to find a bus station or something. And we come across this yard sale, and it's um, yeah, they got a bunch of shit like lamps and uh, and boxes of weird vinyl records and shit. And they've got two Commodore 64s sitting out in front, and uh, no one is around. And it just has this cardboard sign next to them going, "Take what you need." I'm like, okay, so I need it all. I need everything. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this Commodore 64. I'm gonna carry it home, and you know, I come home and I say, and I, you know, I'm hungover, and I go into my dad's room and go, look, look what I found, and he's just like, wait, you, you went out at eight, you know, like seven o'clock last night, um, uh, and got really drunk, and you come home with a Commodore 64. Who'd you rob? How, how did this? Um, <laughs> but anyway, we 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 find all the power supplies and shit because this is after you know my fiasco with you know destroying my own Commodore 64 in the span of 20 minutes. Um, so he's, he's like really wary about this. We find all the connectors, put this thing in, find an old CRT monitor, plug the whole thing up, try and turn it on and nothing happens. And we're like, Hmm, that's weird. Uh, and then we sort of try different things, turning it on and off again. And all of a sudden we get this sort of burnt smell coming off of it. And he's like, nah, nah, this, this is weird. So he uh, gets a screwdriver, cracks the thing open. And inside is what I'm sure was supposed to be the remnants of the, uh, onboard, you know, motherboard circuit board. But it's covered in sawdust. No, there's sawdust everywhere. It's like someone built a hamster cage inside of this Commodore 64, and it will never run again. Because when we turned it on, apparently we set fire to some of this, you know, hay sawdust stuff that was in there, and it was it was non-operative in the first place. But now it was completely fucked up. 
So yeah, another great paperweight in the Commodore 64 collection of my household. <laughs> Amazing. Well, does anyone have any other stories that they want to get out before uh, before we wrap things up, or shall we shall we start winding down? You can have a feat of failure story. Carrying it. I'm the only one who's telling feet of failure stories. Carrying it, twenty-one. I have two. Uh, one is short. Sure. So carrying a, a twenty-one-inch CRT to a LAN party can be considered a feat of strength. Yes, literally. <laughs> Those things. Oh no, no, no! Carrying carrying the entire computer case with keyboard and the CRT monitor in this huge, huge duffel bag that's used to carry ice hockey sticks. We <laughs> carried that up to the sixth floor of an apartment building every weekend for over a year. My brother and I, we did that. That's, sorry. Didn't mean like, to. Thank God, thank God for, for LCD monitors and <laughs> oh, gaming <God>. laptops. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's kind of a feat of strength, also a feat of failure, and I need to be a little bit careful because it uh, has to do with my, uh, uh, with my Army days. But way back when, uh, I was, don't get me wrong, I was, Army is bullshit, right? I was a software engineer for the Army. It's not anything fancy. You did the training um, and then you broke code. Kind of. So I was, I was uh, bringing in a new server to our computer, uh, computer or data center. And uh, it was one of those really, really freaking heavy, like, ATU servers. I don't know if you, like, ever got to carry one of these. They weigh, like, 100 pounds or more. It's, like, 55 wow. kilos. It's crazy heavy. So you don't you fit a small person into it. Um. Uh, no, but you can mash a small person with it. It's, uh, so you don't carry that around on your own because although you might be physically able to, you really shouldn't. But moreover, if you screw it up, then it's really expensive. You don't do that. So I was I was carrying it with a with a colleague of mine, and I was the one walking backwards, kind of holding onto the thing. Uh, we were walking in the data center. And uh, evidently, like earlier that day, they did some maintenance on the cabling or something, and they lifted up one of the like uh, floor tiles. It's like a floating, floor. yeah, a floating floor, so that you can get all the power and the data stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Exactly. so someone lifted one of those, and it's like uh, two two feet by two feet almost. It's it's pretty substantial. And I was walking back straight into that and not noticing, obviously, and I fell backwards with the the really really heavy server. And as, as I was basically thinking, oh, shit, something blocked my fall, like, while I was still more or less upright. Uh, and I look back, and it's this humongous IBM mainframe. Uh, and the funny thing about the humongous IBM mainframes is that they have the same big red power switch that the old IBM uh, PCs used to have, one that is very big and has a very satisfying, like, funk. Clunk, clunk, yeah. <laughs> So it has one of those, and it's used for the exact same purpose. And my shoulder is basically up against it, and it's already kind of bringing it down slowly. But really, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I can feel that I'm like right at the threshold where I take down Israeli military intelligence, <laughs> <laughs> which is not good. So uh, I go to, I tell my colleague, like, Eyal, step back really, really slowly. <laughs> and I kind of try to lift my shoulder up, and that thing weighs a ton. It's like ridiculously heavy. It's like, 
and trying to step over the void on the floor without like turning off the mainframe that I'm leaving. Right. So it's <laughs> amazing. It's it's a feat. There's strength involved, but it's also very close to being a very very tragic story. I think. Yes, yeah, very any failure. You uh, almost almost turned off all of the Israeli uh, military intelligence units. That is, <laughs> I cannot top that. No one can. That would probably be exaggerating a little bit, but I couldn't tell. Uh, let, let me live with that. Let me live with that. home. <laughs> not not as much as it might otherwise be. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I think that's, a, I think that's a good note to end on unless anyone's got anything. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't think we can top that one. I was going to share a story of destroying 37 19 inch uh, CRT monitors, but that's still not as, I mean, let's, I worked, let's do it. When I worked at the computer shop, uh, you know, I hired a buddy as uh, my warehouse guy and uh, he was, we had a big order of, you know, remember 19 inch CRT monitors was the biggest feasible monitor you could really buy. Yeah, like I had a 21, but it was stupid. Like yeah, that's what I actually, I, I, my, I upgraded my next monitor after the 21 was a 19, you know, with a nice flat screen. And Yeah, so, you know, the warehouse guy decided we had a big order of those monitors and uh, he was going to try to stack 37 of them on a pallet. And he did it. He did, you know, nine by nine by nine by nine, like four stacks. Um, massive cube of monitors. Yeah, and um, he, in hindsight, he should have done the saran wrap before he lifted the, the pallet with his pallet jack. When he lifted it, the sides bowed so i guess he didn't destroy you know all 37 but the the in a three by three grid um for each level but the the left three all stacked up four high and the right three all stacked up four high so yeah i guess 24 monitors fell in both directions and smashing down the ground <laughs> and uh, i hear the smash and i go running back there and he's just monitors are everywhere and he's sitting on one of them. Yeah, they're in box. He's sitting on one of them. He's just smoking. And, you know, he can't smoke in the warehouse. But, you know, at that point, he didn't care. He just, like, it's like, no, I'm done. Just sat down. Just it's like, whatever. It's like... And I couldn't help but just laugh, dude. I mean, the scene of this guy with monitors just scattered everywhere. When they fell, they didn't just fall. They slid, too. Uh, just monitors <laughs> all over the right in front of the dock. And, and he's just sitting on one of them smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, whatever. What did you do? Fuck it. I'm fired anyway. Screw it. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you're not firing me over the monitors, you're not firing me over a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. The boss was out that day. We went ahead and piled them up and sent them and just waited to see which ones came back. Not yeah, it's like which ones came back. I was like, oh, I don't know. It must have been damaged in shipping. <laughs> so uh, that company's closed now. So I'm not afraid to admit that now. <laughs> Worst thing like that I ever did was I dropped an entire rack of French fries at McDonald's when I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> when you said rack, I thought you were talking about server or something. No, 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 no. no. I had a buddy who did uh, espresso machines and coffee machines and installed a, installed a coffee machine in an office complex, and there was uh, already um, a hose coming out of the wall where they wanted to hook it up, so he just used their hose. And it's a big no-no because their hose was not rated for high temp, and he did this on a Friday, and then Monday morning – it turns out that that hose had busted and was leaking water, and right below them was Ooh. a big server room. Oh gosh! And so, just all weekend, it was just you know spilling water through the floor all over the servers. Trip, trip, trip. <laughs> luckily, his company was insured, but his boss did literally didn't speak to him verbally for like a week. I think. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. Fuck you. Yeah, like he yeah, got all orders exactly. by email. There was nothing, no, no verbal interaction at all. Amazing. All right. Well, I think that's good. That was that turned out better than I thought because I, I I think we all sort of came in going, oh, feats of strength. You know, what what does that really mean? But I think we we sort of uh, yeah, we one. sort of defined it. Yeah, Even trolls, whose whose idea it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. This was this was super fun, and uh, I'm glad we, as always, get to get to get together and, and chat about these things. And we have a nice little had a nice little group and uh, whatever. So the next show, I know it was supposed to come out before this one, but hey, what's the difference? Uh, is going to be on Defender of the Crown. I wanted to give myself enough time to. Uh, it's a much deeper game than you think it is, really. <laughs> a lot to it, but uh, so uh, yeah. Next episode, 103 is going to be Defender of the Crown. I know there's a lot of you, Tomer, Jim included i have emails from both of you guys and uh yeah so let's look forward to that probably the next uh the next week or two because uh like i said i've been putting it off long enough and uh yeah if you want to find anything about the show as always umbcast.com how about you guys we can go down the list if anyone wants to uh talk about any of their stuff they got anything brian and we don't have a lot but no nope. <laughs> this was a blast okay craig we haven't heard from you a ton today but uh anywhere you want to you want to point us to hi I'm the Space Quest historian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Tomer? Um, two things I want to plug, neither of which is mine. First is uh, just to uh, just to get a head start on Trolls, the Backseat Designers, uh, which is a, has just come to the conclusion of its fourth season and is a highly recommended podcast. Wonderful, wonderful show. Now trolls can actually uh, uh, have fun with the fact that they have a, a concrete fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm actually a Patreon supporter of, of yes. both shows, so uh, I, I, I can safely do that. Also, um, uh, a couple of YouTube channels you might be interested in if yeah, you're all into uh, retro hardware and gaming, that sort of thing. Uh, we don't like any of that crap. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well three actually channels there's the 8-bit guy which is highly recommended and is always a lot of fun oh, yeah. uh, he does like frustration videos of old computers and various other things it's, it's pretty good stuff uh, <laughs> frustration videos hmm. well, i figured that would be playing his motherboards he can make frustration videos well, yes. to be sure uh there's uh Tecmon, which is uh, a little bit similar but uh techno rules yeah, focus more on like gadgets, audio stuff. Uh, pretty good stuff. I, I learned a lot about some audio and video formats that I had never even known existed. And then there's the writers even more than me. It's weird. Yeah. And then there's uh, retro game mods if you're kind of more into the serious uh, restoration and electrical engineering stuff. I bet Brian probably knows that uh, that channel pretty well. Yep. Uh, it's really really good. If you want to, like, I learned more watching a couple shows of that channel about electronics and how to deal with old hardware than I did basically the rest of my life combined. So it's pretty good stuff. Awesome. That's it. All right. And trolls, how about you? You went a little crutch to crusty again, but let's, let's see how, how, how it sounds now. <laughs> That's just my nose. It's dripping into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> I've got a bunch of shit I could point you to, but seeing as I'm uh, on so I'm in someone else's house. I'm just going to say that uh, Joe and I recently finished uh, recording our commentary for Star Trek The Next Generation of Final Unity, and uh, those episodes, when they're edited together, should go up on uh, on my YouTube channel very soon. Uh, so basically, youtube.com slash historian uh, is where you'll find that. Uh, and Joe, awesome. And yeah, those were super fun. Yeah, Joe was a lot of fun to uh, to comment with, and it kind of turned into a DVD commentary style uh, playthrough, which is uh, it's not like it's not a let's play. It's just basically us commenting over pre-recorded uh, gameplay footage. 
and it kind of yeah and we off. sort of like uh let let, let it ride like we, we let the game sort of go under us and we yeah. just sort of talk about other stuff and then we're like oh and all this stuff just happened and some of it yeah, happened, exactly. some of it was okay and the game looks weird yeah. <laughs> It's it's very nerdy, and the game cra- in, in the upcoming episodes, the game crashes on me, and I have to uh, you know fix the sound survivor, and it's uh, tons of fun uh, if you enjoy me being miserable at games. So yeah, that's it. And um, oh, and uh, I moved my live streams. I should probably mention that because I'm playing Life is Strange. Uh, there's a live stream coming out tomorrow at 2 p.m. CET on Twitch.tv/spacequestestory. That should be fun. So drop by if anyone wants to see me fail at a game that is ridiculously easy. <laughs> Amazing. And before before we head off, I, I showed this before, but I, I grabbed a cider as my second drink by accident, which ended up being not that bad. But I think they're they're like inspired. This is like the the salmon max like uh, <laughs> the, the salmon max cider. It's not, but it's a it's a local Toronto cider. But this 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 rabbit guy always sort of uh, it's kind of like a, max. It's kind of like Max meets that bunny from Tiny Darko. Yeah, pretty much. So, anyways, so yeah, that's that. Thanks, everyone. And uh, yeah, super fun hangout as always. We'll have another one in, uh, you know, in a couple months and we'll come up with another interesting topic and, and all that. So thank you guys. Thanks, folks, for, I don't know if anyone watched live, probably not, but uh, <laughs> folks for listening and watching and all that. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scurry over to the other computer and, uh, and turn off the stream. So thanks again. Let's play them up, guys. <laughs> okay, I'm the only one. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.